Welcome to the Medical Affairs Professional Society Field Medical Focus Area Working Group's podcast series entitled Field Medical Stakeholders, Partnering for Today and Tomorrow. In this 14th podcast, we will be discussing regulatory affairs. I'm Catherine Gann, and I'm a member of the Field Medical Focus Area Working Group. I'll be the moderator for this podcast. Currently, I'm an independent consultant in medical affairs, having spent my 30-year career as an MSL, an MSL manager, and an MSL trainer. Our legal disclaimer is as follows. The views expressed in this recording are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect on the opinions of MAPS or the companies with which they are affiliated. This presentation is for informational purposes only and is not intended as legal or regulatory advice. We encourage you to engage in conversation about partnering with field medical stakeholders with other MAPS members via the community portal on the MAPS website. Simply log in with the email address associated with your MAPS account and click on the discussion tab. Then scroll down to field medical to post a question or review previous postings. The objectives for this series of podcasts are that at the end of this series, the participant will be able to, one, discuss the functions and activities of key internal stakeholders, and two, identify potential areas for compliant collaboration by MSLs with key internal stakeholders. I'd like to thank today's panelists for sharing their subject matter expertise with the MAPS membership. Speaking today are Robert Grobel, Vice President, Global Medical Strategy at Monocle, and Robert's going to be our interviewer. And Jamie McPherson, Vice President, Head of Regulatory Affairs and Quality Assurance at Axia Therapeutics. Jamie will be our interviewee. Robert, as I turn this over to you, could you just give us a little background on yourself and then kick us off, please? Thanks, Kathy. Thanks very much for having me again. Um, yes, Robert Global, I'm the Vice President of Strategy for Monocle. We're a a cloud-based uh, software as a service organization that's focused on supporting medical affairs through data and insights. I've been in the healthcare industry for about 25 years now, with the bulk of my career spent in medical and commercial roles at both Beringer Ingelheim and Shire. Um, with that, Jamie, could you introduce yourself? Sure, thank you. Uh, my name is Jamie McPherson. I'm currently um, at Axia um, Therapeutics. I'm actually a PharmD by training. Um, I obtained my PharmD from Northeastern University and had the opportunity to get exposed to regulatory affairs uh, during my co-op opportunity there. Um, I spent about 20 years of experience um, right in regulatory um, in my, my first career opportunity, um, ranging from small companies to large um, biotechs in the, in the Boston area. Well, that's great. Thanks very much. So, um, so as as we think about the partnership element of of our podcast series, can you talk to us about what your department is is primarily responsible for, and and how it might differ from your experience at a larger pharmaceutical company, if that if there is a difference that exists. Sure. So um, I, I often, I mean, our, our ultimate goal um, in the regulatory affair department is to partner with internal stakeholders as well as extern, external stakeholders. And our main focus, um, probably just like many other functions in the, in the um, pharmaceutical um, arena, is, is to make sure that we're providing um, um, therapies to, to patients in a most you know, efficient um, yet in a compliant manner. So internally, you know, we provide guidance 
um, to many of our, our stakeholders throughout the life cycle of, of the, the product. And, and regulatory is um, pretty different in that there's, there's regulatory aspects from, you know, early development way into, you know, post-approval. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, is, is attractive. Um, and, and we, I also describe regulatory as um, the, the main contact with, with regulators, the, the face um, of, of the company to, to regulators. So we work externally and, and partner with regulators, um, you know, to, to influence their decision making um, as, as they're um, reviewing drugs or, or therapies. Um, and I, I think, you know, smaller company, you, you sort of have to wear those several different hats. Um, within within regulatory, as opposed to in a, a larger biotech, um, you know, a lot of the different niches within regulatory are sort of subsetted out. So, you know, you may have one department of just reviewing advertising and promotion. You may have one department reviewing labeling. Whereas in a small company environment, you, you sort of have to wear those multiple hats. So is it safe to assume you have a broad group of internal stakeholders you're working with? That's right. Um, some of our key stakeholders um, include folks in clinical development, um, include medical affairs, um, include um, manufacturing, and commercial, ultimately. Those are some of the key, um, I'd say, internal stakeholders uh, that, that we partner with. Now, now, Jamie, when you introduced yourself, you also said quality assurance. Is that an additive portion of the, the way that the regulatory group operates um, as a collective, or do you see that as something that is kind of standard in the industry? Yeah, um, it's, it's, I think it's also sort of a, a how the company is set up, um, getting back to your earlier question. In a smaller company environment, you know, you, you may have a couple different groups, you know, that fall under one leader. I really do view quality assurance separate from, from regulatory. Um, you know, quality assurance is, is ensuring a quality product, you know, is, is released and, and getting to patients um, where, you know, regulatory I, I see is a little bit different. At Exia, you know, because of the small company environment, I, I lead both groups. Um, but in a large pharma group, you know, that quality assurance is, is typically separate from, from regulatory affairs. And, and, and that's kind of new. That's kind of new for me. So when you think about the, the quality assurance side of this, were there elements of your regulatory experience that made it appropriate or made it logical to bring those two groups together? You know, beyond the size of your your total organization. Sure, sure. Um, so there's a lot of commonalities, as as you might imagine. I mean, you know, the the specifications or how the product is tested you know, certainly kind of crosses the line between what's registered in your dossier um, and versus quality who's sort of um, enforcing those, those specifications, right? So it sort of crosses the line a little bit, but, but there are, you know, differences, whereas, you know, regulatory professionals don't release, you know, the product. There's, you know, a, a, a caliber of, of person with a you know, particular expertise that's, you know, um, releasing product. Um, I had the fortune in, in my career to um, have spent a lot of time in the, in the compliance area um, within uh, the CMC group. And so that sort of, to me, touched a little bit, whereas, you know, quality is involved in inspections, um, 
you know, responding to inspection observations. So they deal with the health authorities, you know, to, to a certain degree. Um, so, so some commonalities, but, but a little bit, you know, of, of difference. And, and forgive me, is there, is Axia a global company or does it have a, just a U.S. footprint? Yeah, um, so we um, were global. <laughs> we had a, a few announcements recently um, and, and really are um, sort of focusing on, a, on a, the North America footprint. Um, but mm -hmm. we were um, across Europe, um, Canada, and, and the U.S. at one time. We have um, partnerships also um, that, you know, our reach is, you know, we work through the partners in like Latin America, for instance, um, on a, a, you know, on a more global scale. That's, that's interesting. Now, does, does, does working as a partner have any, are there any subtleties to that when you look at, even with your, your mention of compliance and now quality and regulatory, how do you work effectively with a partner as opposed to, let's say, a corporate entity that might have a similar or shared point of view or a similar shared, shared set of, of rules and regulations? Yeah. So it's a very interesting dynamic <laughs> working through a partner um, for the reasons that, that you highlighted. Um, you know, certain you know, certainly we're all under, you know, the same objective of, of trying to get product, you know, therapies to patients in need. Um, there is that nuance of partnerships in that, you know, companies tend to have their own, um, let's say, motivations, I guess, or, um, you know, de desires um, behind the scenes. But, you know, it's, we're the, the product experts, um, and, and we really do feel that way, you know, on our side. And, you know, we try and work together with the partners as best as we can, you know, to educate and, and, and work together with them on, on dossiers and marketing applications and commercializing, you know, the, the products. So it, it, I think it all comes down to relationships, probably, you know, what, which also makes the world go round is, you know, building that relationship from a partner perspective. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, it, it does, um, you know, different motivations, um, you know, kind of, you know, have to be escalated uh, to, to, we call it a JSC and ultimately be, be decided. But I haven't encountered any, you know, kind of, you know, compliance issue, if you will, um, on, on, on either side. Um, it's, it's sort of just, you know, what the market dynamic might be and, and how that might drive strategy. And, and thank goodness for, for a, a, a well-established joint steering committee. I, yes, I, I've right. worked through many of those in my day, so that's really great. So yes. this might be an obvious question for somebody who's, who's been in the industry as long as you and I both have, but what's your, what's your understanding of the role of the medical science liaison? So, I mean, I, I really view the, the MSL as, as, you know, customer facing, external facing, you know, um, representative of, of the company from a, from a medical um, side, right? So things from, you know, customer facing, things from the medical community, things, you know, interfaces with the professional organizations um, or, or anyone interested in, in, in sort of the, you know, medical nature of, of our product, you know, that's. I view the MSL as, as the face, you know, for them. And, and are there, are there ways that, that are, are clear opportunities for collaboration between regulatory and, and, and quality assurance with the MSL? 
Certainly. Um, so, you know, I often interact with um, MSLs on external communications or, you know, presentations um, to, to different audiences and, and it's collaborating with them to, you know, ensure that, you know, obviously the, the information is accurate um, and, and truthful. Um, the, another way we interact is, you know, um, requests for um, ISTs or investigator-sponsored studies, um, you know, them coming through the, you know, review committee for, you know, approval um, and, and insight. Um, or if there's a, a, a medical information request, you know, making sure and, and collaborating with the MSL on, on the right response um, and making sure that it, you know, answers the question that, that you know, the, the customer is uh, asking. Okay, that, no, that's great. That's great. And, you know, one of the things that we, we've always seen as kind of the currency of the MSL are those insights they bring back from the, you know, as the customer facing or the, the field facing uh, role scientifically. I mean, the value of an MSL insight, are there ways that they can uh, in, improve them or enhance the insights they're bringing back that have a very clear focus on driving regulatory value? Certainly. Um, one of the um, examples that comes to my head is, you know, feedback on our label or, you know, feedback on our instructions for use, right? So if, if there's a concept that's not clear in the label or a concept that's not clear in instructions for use as they're dealing with nurses or, or professionals, that's certainly feedback, you know, we in regulatory want to want to hear, um, you know, because we can do something about that. Um, and, and we want to make the you know most of it for our um, you know, as, as you mentioned, external customers. So I, de and, and I, I definitely love to hear tidbits from what's going on, you know, what's going on in the customer's mind or the medical community in, about our products, um, you know, and, and feeding that back in, it, it helps as we think about life cycle management. Um, you know, like I said, it helps in, in how we're thinking about, you know, external communications, our USPI, our advertising of promotion materials. So there's, there's definitely things we can, um, you know, get from, from external customers and, and through the MSL that, that I would definitely appreciate from, from the regulatory side. That's, that's terrific. That's really, that's really terrific. And, you know, all the time I've spent talking to field medical teams and talking about insights, I'm not sure I've ever really focused in on the actual physical instructions that are delivered out to, to the caregiver or to the support staff that are helping a patient understand how to exact, you know, treatment. And, and that, type of, that type of insight really does speak to patient outcomes, quality of life, satisfaction. So that, I think, is a, that's, a, that's a real gem from these. I mean, Kathy has invited me to do this a couple of times, but I think that's just some really terrific feedback. Um, so, so thanks very much for that, Jamie. Um, Kathy, I'll turn it back over to you. Well, thank you, Robert and Jamie. And yeah, Robert, I agree. That was a gem for me also. The feedback on uh, the label or the patient instructions for use, I never thought about that, actually, from a regulatory point of view. So, Jamie, you've certainly not only educated our audience, you've educated Robert and me, too. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I mean, it definitely helps with, you know, even product complaints. You know, if, 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 if customers are continually struggling 
with one piece and, and we're getting feedback from a product complaint perspective, you know, that's definitely something we can be proactive and, and correct so that, you know, there's not that negative connotation around our product. Great. And what a great use of the insights that MSLs put in. So in line with our learning objectives, I think participants should now have a better understanding of the role and function of regulatory affairs and its impact and, um, well, role with across the life cycle that it guidance throughout the life cycle from very early on to post-marketing. And then also, as we've just been discussing, how MSLs may compliantly interact with regulatory affairs and just what a great tidbit that was, Jamie. So thank you again for that. So this has been the 14th podcast in a series on the topic of field medical stakeholders partnering for today and tomorrow. If you're a MAPS member, thank you for supporting MAPS. If you're not yet a MAPS member and would like access to additional resources in this area, please visit the MAPS website to explore joining. And that website is medicalaffairs.org forward slash membership. This concludes the podcast.